Hey, bumper away. Hey, this is Michael O'Neill from the Solopreneur Hour podcast, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. Listen up. Woo! That was awesome. Thank you. Cool, man. Cool, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for showing up. It's been a while since we've talked, at least a week, and uh, thank you and welcome. So, Michael S. Brooks is my guest today. I learned a lot about Michael S. Brooks that I did not know. So, I didn't know that uh, Michael S. Brooks used to be very briefly in the Air Force, and he almost had the same job as me. Um, There were some strikingly similar sorts of stories that he and I share, um, verming and veering. Um, He wasn't very good at math as a kid. Um, He had some some similar uh, coping strategies of being good uh, with people and uh, really zooming in on his people skills and figuring out that's the way he was going to make it in life. And I didn't know that before. So we talk a lot about... um, uh, his martial arts school, um, a little bit about how he didn't like being an employee at all, um, and how he was in IT, um, in, in technology, but not very good at it. So, uh, very fun conversation, very fun guy. Um, we talk a lot about, a little bit about Dr. Who and in the TARDIS. So if you don't know what that is, look it up. Anyway, without further ado, here is my chat, my conversation with Michael S. Brooks of Nuclear Chowder Marketing. NuclearChowder.com. Okay, go. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to vroom vroom veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Hi, Mike Brooks. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Great to be here. Yeah, it's been uh, close on a year since the last time we talked. Yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed our last conversation, so lo- been looking forward to chatting with you again. Cool. So what's uh, what's new in Mike's world? I saw that you, you got a really close haircut. That's new. Yeah, no, that's, uh, well, I've had this close haircut for a long time. Really? <laughs> We're, we just didn't do video last time. Ah, okay. I've been looking at your pictures yeah, well, you've been looking at some old pictures if you saw pictures with hair. I, I, I've been uh, doing this clean cut for, uh, you know, a long time, probably since I started cutting my hair short in the, I want to say mid-90s. Right. And then it was starting to help me keep it short, you know, right on top. Right, <laughs> so right, right, right. It's like I may as well just shave it. I, I, just, I was one of those people who instead of shaving your head because you have to, I, I wanted to do it. Okay. I liked, you know, I grew up with like a curly hair, real big curly hair, and yeah, I went kept going shorter and shorter and shorter after having long hair for a long time, and and went ridiculously short, and then just liked it. And my now I can't grow a head of hair if I tried. Understood. Yeah, my wife is clinging to what I have left. <laughs> 
Yeah, my wife didn't care. Some, you know, so You're I guess lucky. So everybody's different. I yeah. know a couple guys who have the same problem I do up here. Yeah, and their wives won't let them cut it, and I'm like, dude, you gotta cut. You gotta get your hair shave. Yeah, shave the head of yours. Yeah, you know, I I would uh, when I was in um, in the military and I went on deployment to the desert. I went all the way to basically nothing, you know, not shaved like you're not clean, but I told the guy I was just like one all over, you right. know, that's, it. yeah, yeah. That's like one, one off bald. <laughs> yeah. That's how I started. I started going shorter, shorter, shorter. And then right. I wow, wonder what happens if I just get some clippers and, and then it was like, I like this. It's very low maintenance. Yeah. My and, wife and, and I have been cutting my hair together. So I do the top. She does the sides and the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works out. It's and you nice. save fifteen bucks, you know. Oh yeah, every two weeks or whatever it is. Shaving is shaving is easy because when you shave, you could just use your hand. You you actually right. feel right, and you know you've you've got it. So you don't need somebody else. It's it's, it's quick easier. and easy. Man. Yeah, yeah. Way Once easier. a week. <laughs> Once a week, fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but see, now I am growing a beard. The the audience can't see that, but I have a beard, and it started last May, and this is where it's kind of evolved to. And yeah, I, it looks good. Uh, thanks. I like it mostly because I don't have to shave <laughs> as yeah. much. As well, much. I don't know how old you are, but I, you know, I used to have a goatee. I used to do the goatee, but started getting gray. Mm. So I was like, oh man, I look like you know ten years older when I grow the facial hair now. So uh, I just, right, right, I keep right. it off. I have some gray in my beard. I'm 45. I'm about to oh, be so 46. Oh, okay. All right. All right. You look you look a uh, younger forty five than I than I look uh, uh, so th- good for you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, thanks, Mike. <laughs> it's, it's the gray. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. If you could see here, this is gray. There's a little bit of gray there. Yeah, but, I can't. I can't tell. Yeah, you can't tell. It's a tiny little picture. All right, so the show is about vrooming and veering. So we look at your life uh, through the lens of vrooming, which is sort of like life on autopilot. Or, you know, when you're just got your head down and you're focused. And then a veer is when you kind of like have an awakening. So mm-hmm. what have you got for us? What's what's one of your vroom vroom or vroom veer stories? Oh, my God, man. That's, uh, <laughs> first of all, like how boring is my life going to be? I don't know. Oh my, my wife would be my wife would be sitting here going, oh, you want to talk about his what? What do you want to talk about? Yeah. You know, I <laughs> let's talk more about your hair. That was <laughs> right. hair is more or lack thereof. Yes. Right. Well, you know, I've, I'll tell you, honestly, I've, I've always been a veer person and I don't know who, who else you're talking to. You know, I don't know the other people you're talking to, but if you're talking to, I think entrepreneurs and business owners, you're going to find that we're, we're a veering bunch of people. You know, right. We, no, no, no. I think you're right. As a group, I understand yeah. where you're going with this. We, we take, we take the car off the road on purpose. <laughs> I, you know. So I'm always, you know, every couple of years I'm, I'm veering. So, I mean, I can, you know, we could do the Doctor Who thing where we get in the TARDIS and, and go back a few years and then go back even further and go forward. Sure. Yeah, it's that's always, cool. That, always you know, something. and jump around because if, if we're going to be Doctor Who and the TARDIS, then making it sequential is just boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can, you, you know, and that's another thing that I like about the, the metaphor of rooming and veering is that you can look at a whole life and talk about a whole life till now in an hour. Or you could really, you know, if you wanted to zoom down, every day contains rooming and veering. Yes. Yeah, so, absolutely. so it's up to you. You know, what, what was, uh, 
What sorts of stories stand out that you think have meaning for you that you don't get to tell a lot? Hmm. Well, probably the, I guess I got to go way back. Okay. Even though I said I wasn't going to do it, but you know, I probably got to start at the beginning because that's when the big ones, the big one, the, the big one in my life, the one that shaped who I am, I think, you know, happened when I was younger. Okay. And a lot of everybody, it's interesting to watch how people, uh, but you know what? I'm not going to go too far back. I'm going to go back to when I was in corporate America okay. because that's when, that's when the real veer happened for me was when I decided I was going to work for myself. I think I've always had an entrepreneurial thing. I think sometimes, sometimes I think entrepreneurs are born I and agree you just with don't that. realize, you know, you yeah. like, you, and some people go through their lives working for somebody else and they retire and, and they never follow through or they never realize that thing was pulling them off the road. Uh, but it was there and, um, some people do it. I, I guess it's, it's, you, you just, yeah. you're born with it and you fight it or you go with it. I think some, uh, some people are wired to do the entrepreneurial journey and other people, not so much that, that mm. whatever it is that they, they came to do, they don't have the, the sort of like intestinal fortitude, yeah. <laughs> the ability to live outside the comfort zone and get okay with it. Um, that, uh, that, that you, that's required to be a successful entrepreneur. Yeah. So they're yeah. going to trip up and fall and go, Oh, you know, I'm just going to go get a job. Mm hmm. Now, yeah. Where an entrepreneur says, oh, yeah, <laughs> and rolls up their sleeves. So I'm assuming that's what happened to you. So, yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit of how you were rooming in your corporate world job as sort of a setup and then get into your veer when you decided to break off and become an entrepreneur. Yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't any one thing. <clears throat> there were some some key things. And I think the the. Um, you know, I grew up in a family, uh, smaller family, you know, close but small. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Everybody lived close by. Grandparents lived close by. Um, you know, we saw them on a regular basis growing up. And um, so small family, um, only one person in my immediate family even went to college, you know, for the first the first time. And I, I kind of followed that path. I followed his path because I, I thought that was, you know, like my grandparents, their, their American dream growing up in the depression era, uh, was to have a steady job, you know, have a blue collar job, have a, have a, a nice little small house and be able to have the whole family living close by and then retire someday. And my uncle was the first one who was like, you know, I'm going to college, I'm going away, I'm traveling, I'm going to have, you know, a, you know, go for a master's degree, all that. And, um, you know, I kind of followed that path into corporate America because that was to me what the American dream was is go to school, you know, go to college, go for the advanced degree, get a job, all that. And, uh, it was actually after uh, I grad, let's see, I graduated college in 93 and then I got a corporate job immediately. That was when in, uh, information technology was really taking off right. in, sure, in this sure. country. I mean, it was like, you could, internet you didn't could, uh, quite exist yet. There were BBSs, I think. Yeah, you know, AOL was was the thing. I mean, AOL I was around, right? In '92, right. you know, I got my my first personal computer. You know, first real computer, right? Okay. Not a Commodore sixty four in, <laughs> in college. I, was, I had was a, I had a Vic twenty. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know yeah. I remember programming, trying to program on those things. In basic, crazy. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I got my first computer when I was, I think, a junior in, in college. So probably 91, 92. And I graduated in 93. But I do remember being in that dorm dialing up on AOL. Right. <laughs> you know, and your 2400 baud modem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think if I'm getting my, I could be mixing stories together. You never know if I'm like in that. <laughs> So sometimes when you're trying to recollect these things, the TARDIS is not a perfect machine. It, it's as not long, a perfect as long machine. as the story is embellished to make the the innocent seem more fun, then it's, right. it's all good. <laughs> should we tell people? Should we tell your listeners what a TARDIS is? Because some people don't even know who Doctor Who is. No, you know, if you don't have that kind of geek cred, that's okay. You don't need to be listening to the show. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Just so leave if now. If you don't is, know what a TARDIS have... is, just leave now. That's you can right. look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Netflix, right? Uh, right. For Doctor Who and start watching. It's awesome. So, yeah, you know, I um, and so '93 I graduated. I got my first job right out of college. I mean, it was easy to get a job back then. Uh, IT was kind of the rising thing. I got paid very well, and I kept getting raises, and and things were going fine. But I didn't care for what I was doing. I was like, you know, I remember a friend of mine who was in college with me. Right. I graduated same degree. We got a literally an MIS degree. You know, I was, oh, that was okay. the chosen field. And, uh, so it was a business degree with a concentration in IS and we, we both got jobs, but he hated it and, and I didn't care for it. And he went back, got his teaching certificate and now he's a teacher right out of college. He decided, wow, okay. I hate this. Wow. I, that, right. Put a bug in my head. I think, you know, that, wow. So, okay. College and switch. What was your corporate role? Because I, I, I had some of those IT jobs too. So I kind of have a feel for where you're at, but just drill down just a smidge and just describe what sort of job were you like in charge of a network or an overall IT department or just a smaller piece of it? Which part of IT were you working in? Yeah, I was working for a small company that was a startup at the time. It was a logistics trucking type of company. Okay. And they, I was working in their in, in their support department. So I was the networks guy. I was the guy who go install windows on computers. Okay. And I wasn't very good at it. That's the key thing. <laughs> I was not a technical. What I discovered is I was not a technical oriented person. Interesting. It took me a long time to realize that here I am in the technical field and I do not have an aptitude for technical stuff. Like, you know, and I, I we had this kind of moment where I was there for about three or four months and my boss said, listen, you know, this is not for you. You got to go maybe think about finding another job. Wow. Yeah, uh, He was like, he didn't fire me, but he was like, you got to either step it up or look for another job. So I, I didn't like that. I wasn't good at it. So I decided to look for another job. In the meantime, I was trying to step it up. I was you know, doing my best to try and work hard while I was there. Okay. Um, and, and I did eventually find another job as a – I was a sales support person in an IT department. So I wasn't, I wasn't even in, I was kind of like this weird part of the IT department where we were anal, analysts and we would come up with, we'd, we'd basically call, you know, pull out facts and figures for the salespeople to support what they were doing in this big logistics company, like a shipping company, which is long since gone. Okay. Uh, I think they were bought by DHL years and years ago. But so I was in this customer service, almost like sales support role. It was, it was an interesting job and I actually didn't. You know, I didn't like being in corporate America, but I liked that job and I probably could have shined in that job. That was a good role for me. But then I kept trying to get in back into the core IT department and, and got into that. After about a year, I went into programming, uh, COBOL. Remember COBOL? I do. 
I was doing COBOL Scary. programming. I was not very good at that. I wasn't a good programmer. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked, I bounced around. You know, I went into the EDI, Electronic Data Interchange Department. Okay. Where, where I worked good was when there was customer service or creativity involved. And people. Where I, it seems and like people, people was a yep. key, right? Yeah. Yep. Where I wasn't so good. Well, one of the skills like locked up in a closet or a basement, not so. I wasn't going to be the red meat programmer. You know, I I didn't have that math mind, and and what I really discovered over the years is that I was good at talking to people. I'm good at selling something, and I enjoy that. I enjoy the process of of selling. I enjoy the process of of from a doing it, and from a um, kind of creative framework. I enjoy that marketing. Uh, and I should have known then, but it took me years and years to figure out. Um, and, and sure enough, you know, I'm very good at getting, I was very good at getting a jobs and, and because I had good interviewing skills. Right. I could and you, were, you had good people skills. Right. So I had a knack for getting myself in over my head and then sure. bouncing from department. And it, I was lucky because that time IT was just growing, growing, growing. And you could really, you know, it was much easier to get a job then. Um, and I, you know, I kept bouncing around, but I knew something needed to change. And it was, it was really when the Y2K stuff was going on. Remember? I do remember Y2K. I was in, uh, I was in Japan, and the, the, uh, we had a sister detachment. Our squadron had like four detachments all over the world, and I was in Japan. And the, there was another detachment in uh, Korea. <laughs> and we had the – there was this mission system that required – uh, an update for Y2K and we yeah. had it and the guys in Korea didn't. So, mm-hmm. um, the powers that be sent me on a free weekend trip t- <laughs> 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 to carry a classified four millimeter dat tape from, uh, wow. yeah, Japan to, uh, to Korea and do nothing with it. We were, all we were doing was here you go. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, and then we could party the rest of the weekend because the next awesome. plane wasn't until, I think Sunday or a Monday. So yeah, we had uh, we had Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Korea to hang out and party with all our buddies from Debt Two. <laughs> that sounds like awesome. That, it was that's fun. An awesome. Yeah, that's a better job than I had. <laughs> but I mean, I got you know, I I basically was in the I I was it was an interesting time to be in IT. You know, it was a really interesting it time was. because. Things were booming. Software was was going crazy. There was this bubble happening. It was kind of pre. Um, it, you could see that everything was going into application. In, the applications were changing. Applications were getting away from COBOL and getting into more GUI based things. Mm-hmm. And I, I got into developing those things a, a bit, you know, and, and used Cold Fusion, which was more of a markup language. So I got into web application design in the early days of, of that. Um, and Y2K was a really big, you know, it, it, it just made deal. so much, so many jobs were there for somebody who wanted to come in to an IT department and right. you could ask for whatever you wanted. You're, you had job security. And I saw it as a bubble. I, I oh, definitely, I, it was a job I, bubble. Was Y2K, huge. that was uh, that's what it was. I mean, yeah, so much money spent. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like you know. I used to have. I had a very smart friend who who was used to just talk about. You know, thought that this would never end. And, and I was like, man, you're so smart, but you don't see that this is. They're going to fire half this this company when the Y2K job is over. What are we all right. going to do? Right. You know. So I started getting into the web application stuff because of that. And that was like a. You know, I. I mean, I was really good at veering 
from uh, as I'm trying to illustrate here is like yeah yeah you know, you're bouncing this from not working let me figure out what's going to work and right. uh, yeah I kept veering I felt like I was veering around in circles because I was still in that corporate environment and now I had been also taking martial arts since before I got into college and really that was by that time I was an instructor at the school and my friend a good friend of mine um, who was the owner of the school at the time. Um, was would call me at work and ask me business questions because he's like, oh, you're a business major. I'm like, man, you have no idea what corporate America's like. You think I can help you because I graduated with a business degree and I work in a business? He's like, I have no idea how to help you. Right. You had <laughs> absolutely like, no clue what, what entrepreneurial things are. Oh, God. It was like the blind leading the blind. He's like – and his name was Mike too. He'd call me and be like, well, Mike, what do you think if I do that? And I'd be like, oh, that sounds good. <laughs> Let's try that. <laughs> I became his like advisor and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the creativity of that. And, and I started learning, you know, it was, I'm, I've always been a natural learner. I, I, even though I was really bad at school, once I got into college, I, I started to understand the power of learning. And I think because of troubles I had going through school, I discovered, um, I, I just always, always looking for new ways to do things and that the answers are out there. Um, so I started studying marketing. I started studying business. I started going to conferences on his, he would, he would pay for me to go. So I'd go to these martial arts business conferences and all right. Very cool. learned all sorts of good stuff about that. And that was, and this was, you're still working now too. Still working. Yeah. Right. Still working. And, you know, I remember the day I went to, um, I was at a conference, a weekend conference and I asked we, we had been now me and Mike had been working together on the martial arts thing for a couple of couple of years and I was getting deeper and deeper into it and just as an advisor and this right. you know this guy really changed this this guy changed things for me where he number one he handed me uh, a Dan Kennedy tape you know who Dan Kennedy is yes I've heard yes. of Dan Kennedy Dan Kennedy is my first marketing marketing mentor and okay Dan Kennedy is one of the you know, direct response marketing, kind of old school, rubber meets the road marketing guys who would be out there on the speaking circuit with guys like Gary Halbert, John Carlton. You know, these are great names to um, to learn marketing from. And I got into that world through this guy. He, you know, I was asking him questions. He was a speaker at this conference. I was asking him questions, and he just he, he goes, "You know what? Hang on a second. He hands me this tape. It was actually a a tape. Cassette <laughs> tape tape deck in a car <laughs> the way home. That, that just totally that talk about veering me off the road i was like wow this is this is small business 101 this is what you need to do as a small business owner and uh i don't i couldn't tell you what the dan kennedy tape is tape was it was part of a kit that he sold probably uh you know i mean this is going back 20 years so um i don't even know if it's on the market anymore but it was life-changing it was like Okay, I there's get it. A, there's I a veer right there, right? Oh, man. By the time I got home, I was like, I know how to run a business now. Wow. <laughs> you know, I got some uh, – it was really amazing. And, and you had been things, dancing around it for all this time and that's all sort of marinating in the background. Yeah. Yeah, it was something pulling on me. I hated working. I hated – I hated – Hated, hated having a boss. I hated going to work. Right. I hated, I hated the monotony of it, mm. having to be there twenty, you know, seven, five days a week. Like you have to be at the you same. You know what place. I hated most <laughs> were those stupid meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, yep. It's still when I think about those dumb meetings where you had to go and pretend you gave a shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
And what's really going on is your brain is just getting more numb as, you know, the next person drones on about crap you don't care about. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. I'm so glad I don't do those anymore. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. Continue. No, no, no. <laughs> but it was, that's a tough decision. And I think every business owner is faced with that because, it, and like this speaker at this conference told me, when when you make the decision to do this, because the question, and I get this question now as I coach people all the time, is you know how do I do this in my part time and replace my income, and and really that's almost impossible. You know that's that's something that most people don't find happens. You gotta, and he and I, he said, listen, at some point you just gotta jump off the cliff. You gotta take a chance. You gotta take a risk. You gotta just go run and jump. And yeah, you're going to take a hit in your salary. There's no two ways about it. But right. if you if you try to replace a six-figure salary with a martial arts school that is really at that time was bleeding money, it wasn't making anything, it was really heading in the wrong direction. He's like, if it's not making money now and you're going to wait, you're just not going to have the energy and the time to do the things to build that school to that point. You may be able to get it to a point where it's paying you a little, but eventually you have to get to the, you have to say, okay, now it's time to jump off the cliff. So, that's that was what I did, and and you know I've been working for myself ever since. That's going back uh, a lot of a lot of years at this point, over fifteen years now. Wow, or fifteen? What is two thousand fifteen? So not quite fifteen. I think I I jumped in two thousand two. Right, right. Ended up being the beginning of two thousand two. Right. Well, that was shortly after the Y two K non event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, my last job, but still post nine eleven. Right, so scary world yeah. still. Well, you know, and that's those are other things. You know, there's other there's these other things, and really, it was, you know, the big moment for me, and and coming back to to family, you know, yeah. um, I had this moment <clears throat> after I had been real early, and, and I I don't know the years at this point. I'm trying to think of the years that these things happened, so I'm remembering them out of order. I know the TARDIS isn't working. <laughs> But, That's one know, benefit of, of of an Air Force career, is like I moved every three years. So I all I have to do is think about where I was, and then I know within a three year period <laughs> the years that that happened. You know, I can never pick out which year it was, but I can say, well, somewhere between ninety four and ninety seven, this happened. <laughs> wow! Right? Wow. Well, the big my big my big thing happened before I went into the Air Force myself, but I wasn't really in the Air Force, but I was in the Air Force. I'll tell you that story next. Oh, neat. Okay, cool. So we'll, we'll pre-friend <laughs> since we were both in the, sort of in the Air Force. But, you know, uh, <clears throat> life-changing events, you know, can can uh, change things for you. And, and I'll, you know, one of the days where uh, everything changed forever for me was, uh, it was this my grandmother was living with me. It was my, my wife and, and, you know, we were newlyweds. My grandfather, grandmother was living with me because my grandfather had had a mild heart attack at our wedding. And he, yeah, this is going back 95, 96 area. Um, so I'd been working for a while. I'd been doing the martial arts stuff for a while. And my grandfather on the day of our wedding had a mild heart attack. They didn't even tell us about it. You know, they because they're like they don't we don't we don't want them to not go on their honeymoon. So we didn't find out until we landed back from our honeymoon. And my, wow. while my while my grandfather was recovering, yeah, it was like eighty. Guy was eighty years old, 
and he had a heart attack and, you know, it off. pulled through it. And the guy was like, you know, a smoker since he was 11. Ate bacon. He was out of shape. He didn't eat right. I mean, he was, it was like every hell you would never think. And it was a mild heart attack. And he had, you know, he had that bypass surgery, but he's in, he's in now the recovery in, in town. And, uh, my grandmother was living with me. So <clears throat> knock, you know, get a phone call in the middle of the night. My father's like calling me. He's like, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, this is it. My grandfather probably must have passed away. Um, and I can't remember if he came to the door or called me first, but he came. I think they knocked, they literally knocked on the door and he asked me if my grandmother was up. I remember it was night. And, you know, I thought it was going to be my grandfather. It turned out to be my cousin who was 12 at the time. Just had, a, a, you know, he was at summer camp and collapsed and that was it. He had a congenital heart uh, condition that nobody knew about. Wow. And he, he 12 years it. old, 12 years old. And wow. that rocked my world. I mean, at that, you know, at a young age, I, that was like number one. It bringing was, some mortality oh, realization. Oh, it brings mortality, but it was, you know, it's my 12 year old cousin. It was like this, the most horrible thing you could think of happening in a family. Like, you know, you know that you're going to, um, you, you were all mortal and, and things are going to happen. And, but, you know, when the youngest member of the family, it happens to them, it just, it, it shakes you and it's horrible. And to watch a, a father and a mother bury their child is just, just horrible. So, you know, he's my first cousin. We're again, and I told you in the beginning, we were a very small family. So not many of us. Right, right. And it really, you know, we were really close. Although we lived far away and uh, the funeral was in Colorado and, and I still remember being in the room with, you know, where me and my father were camped out downstairs and, and we were talking and I, I told him at that point, I'm going to own my own business one day. I want to own my own martial arts school. I want to get out of corporate America. And I think that was, you know, one of those big moments where it was like, okay, this life's too short, man. Exactly. You know? Right. Yes. So, yeah, all that. I mean, it's like how many veers, I mean, there's, you know. I, no, I no, became you're right. an expert at veering. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had another conversation uh, before this one, and we were talking about really maybe part of the trick is is building structures and practices that help you veer on a, on a regular basis. It's almost like living in a veer zone. Yeah. Um, even It seems like if you do nothing, you will be vrooming. It's like vrooming is default. You don't have to right. work on vrooming. <laughs> Right. It's just, it's, it's, it's going to happen walking through life, man. Exactly. That, but veering is going to happen too. It's just whether or not you're, you're, how are you going to deal with it? Right. You know, and it seems like, yeah, you know, they're there. Like you just said, that story was, um, that, that event served to fuel a future veer. Yeah. Yeah. It was all, it's all planting seeds and it's all, you know, I mean, I was, I was, uh, probably had the makings of a hypochondriac, uh, to begin with, but that for two solid years after that, I was uh, convinced I was having heart problems and I was, oh, I was a mess. I was having a midlife crisis at 25. Wow. You know, over that. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. Yeah. Was I can tough. imagine that that would, that would be like shaking your, just your whole world down to, the nub, you know, it's just like makes you question everything. Yeah. It brings that mortality sort of issue. You're like t 
25? Is that how, how old? I was, yeah, I was 25. I'm 47 now. Right. Okay. So this is, yeah, this is going back to, I know, I know it was 95 because I got married in 95. Right, right. And it was, <clears throat> we got married in the summer. He was at summer camp. So it had to be the summer we were married. It had to be August. Sure. It had to be August. It happened. Wow. It was, yeah, oof, terrible. That's a rough one. So, you know, all those things combined, I, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I, you know, I, I wasn't a good student in high school. I wasn't a good student all through school. I mean, I had ADD, I had, you know, I was in special ed classes. I was a terrible, terrible student. I could not get math to save my life. Wow. I was okay. always creative, but, you know, I, 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 looking back now, I know I was a creative no, I don't want to say genius, but you know, as a creative person, always, always pretty. <laughs> you work. I'll say it for you. Creative genius. You are a creative genius. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done anything to deserve being called a creative genius, other oh, than just saying it just now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I was always, I always had the creative bug, and always was just awful at math. The technical stuff was terrible, and and <clears throat> you know, creative enough to figure out how not to take algebra and in, in, in high school and still graduate. <laughs> That's you know? pretty down creative. That meant that yeah. you had like some political uh, aspirations, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you were exactly. good at ca- cajoling and ca- convincing. Right. right. <laughs> so now, I, I, you, you planted a seed. So how was this that you were in the Air Force, but you were never in the Air Force? That's a, that's a fun yeah. little story. Yeah, well, you know, I graduated high school by the skin of a D. Good for and, you. Uh, yeah, and I, it's amazing. Really amazing that I graduated on time, quite frankly, that I marched with my class and I never had to take summer school. I was always able to get that D and pass that last class. I remember (laughs) hugging the teacher that gave me a D. I hugged her in the hallway. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to graduate. Thank you. But I I went to college and I got – I flunked out of college my first – and I had to go to a community college, a two-year college. I couldn't get into anything. I mean my my mother took me around to these these two-year colleges that were – actually decent two-year colleges and I could I none of them would accept me I had to go to a community college right and uh, I was going to spend probably a year there making up stuff I didn't do in high school and I was like I dropped out the first semester I was like this sucks and I bounced around for a little while and then I got this idea that hey I'll go into the Air Force you know people look cool in uniforms I went to recruiter I was like, ah, yeah, okay. I took the aptitude test, and I, I had no aptitude for anything. So they stick. They say you will be a business guy, or you know, whatever that track is. Like, I'm not going to be a tech guy. I'm not going right. to be a computer guy. I'm not going to be working on jets. I'm not going to be flying. You'll be an, an administrator. Yeah, yeah, an administrative specialist. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's, that was it my was career like, field. That's well, that's a little spooky. Lower. I mean, I was even like, it was even work. It was I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad field because that was, but it was like, it was some corner of being in it, being in there that I was like, it was almost like on the, on the very low, low track. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, I was not going, you're, you're not going to be a linguist or <laughs> I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, you know what? I'm not going to be anybody's boss. I'm not going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be maybe the guy you know, reporting to people like you sitting at the front desk, answering the phone somewhere. (laughs) I wasn't going to have a good career. So I, you know, I signed up and I signed up on the delayed enlistment program. Right. So I was like, it's going to turn 21 that year. And I remember it was, I was leaving in October after just after I was going to turn 21 and I was going to have the summer 
off. So I basically, I sold my car because car insurance when you're like 19, 20 is ridiculous. So I sold my car. I got rid of all my, you know, I'm still living at home and I I decided to buy a motorcycle for the summer. I was like, I'm going to have fun and I'm going to take martial arts lessons. I got my motorcycle. I'm going to have fun. And uh, there's this one day I'm I'm getting ready. It was like June, I think. I was getting ready to go to uh, just a day on the beach at the beach with my friends and get get uh, you know go to get my stuff. And I was I was almost even going to leave my helmet home. Right? I always rode with a helmet because you know, safety first. But I was like, oh, I don't want to bring it today. I just you know we're going swimming. We're going to so be. But I grabbed it anyway, and thank God I did. Okay. Because as I'm coming around, just maybe two miles from my house, I'm coming around a corner and I'm banking to the left. The road veers towards the left. And then this woman on my right at a, at a stop sign coming out took a left turn right in front of me. Never saw her. Never. She never saw me. I didn't, I, I didn't have time to do anything. So I took my very first flight over her car. <laughs> wow. I hit right in the middle of her car, s- straight head on. Didn't even have a chance to slam on the brakes. Went flying over. Wow. Bike went into the car, crushed the car. Went, I went flying over and landed on my head, on my helmet, which wow. I almost didn't bring with me. Right. So, and I say that guardian angel look, there. If I didn't bring that helmet, that I mean, I stood there and I looked at the helmet. I was like, man, maybe I won't bring it today. I'd be dead. I would have been. You dead. would be. You would be dead. Yes. The helmet broke. Saved. You know, does what it's supposed to do. The helmet broke for me. And, um, yeah, I remember not being able to breathe and thinking I'm dead. Like I'm totally dead. Couldn't breathe. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm lying on the ground, can't breathe. And all of a sudden my breath comes back after what seems like, you know, it really, for, for the good two minutes, I thought I was at what seemed like an eternity. I thought I was dead. And the worst way I think, I still think about that worst way you could die is by not being able to breathe, by the way. <laughs> Like, pretty frightening, right? Oh my god. god! Were you so I, were you uh, with it enough to be panicked about it, or were you completely out of it? I was with it. I knew what was going on. I was, you know, I um, I knew enough to go, oh shit, as I, I went. Breathe. <laughs> like, well, when I when the car pulled out, I went, oh, okay. shit. I remember saying shit, and then I was over on the other side of the road. It was like such a split second. And when you think about it, if she saw me and slammed on her brakes or tried to speed up. I would have hit differently. And if I saw her and I slammed on my brakes, I would have probably went into her sideways. And, you know, there's so many ways, so many easy ways to die on a motorcycle. I can't tell you. Right. Um, but I was really, really lucky. I, I got my breath back. You just, you know, you, you get the wind knocked out of you. Sure. When, when yeah, yeah. So that's what happened. I wasn't, wasn't actually dying. I got the wind knocked out of me. I got up. Man, at that moment, I was so happy. Like I'm standing. I'm breathing, and the girl comes out. She's crazy, like freaked out. I'm like, it's okay. And I even told her, I said, it's okay. We're both alive. It's all good. <laughs> it was like Zen master. <laughs> like, no, I I'm get you. This is, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. But I I fractured my T11 vertebrae. So the, think about your back going down. Yeah, and yeah. Vertebrae come out. Right. It was a hairline fracture in my vertebrae. So technically, I broke my back. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> uh, but I could walk. You know, I was, I was up. And, yeah, but you don't uh, really want to, though. <laughs> you don't want to be up. You know, I got road rash. So the cops came. They they laid me down on the ground. They, the ambulance came, took me away on the stretcher and, you know, went in and they x-rayed and all that and told me, you got a you know, fracture on your vertebrae. 
Uh, it's going to be a long, um, you know, you're going to have to do physical therapy. There's nothing to operate on. There's nothing to fix. It'll heal itself. Um, and, you know, but now it's July or August and I got to leave for the Air Force in two months and I can't walk. Right. So I had to, I was in rehab uh, for for months, and you know, for the while, and up right up until I left, I was in rehab. And by the time I got to the the Air Force, leaving for the Air Force, I was okay. And I think I was October fourteenth. I left. So I was you, okay did, to you were able to go. I was able to go. And here's the thing: is I couldn't stand up for more than five minutes without being in excruciating pain. And the recruiter told me I need to go. You need to suck it up. You need to go or, or you'll be in big trouble. He was wrong. He was very wrong. I found that out. <laughs> and, you know, I, went. I already know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so I went, went down to Texas and, I, you know, it was a, an amazing experience. I'll never forget being out in the barracks when, you know, the, the bus pulls up at 11 at night, you know, lets us out, mar- lines us up. And these guys, you hear the taps, yes. the tapping of and the, the shoes bear coming hats. out. <laughs> oh, my God. That was the most frightening thing. I, I wanted to cry. And oh, kids were – it was funny. Everybody was crying. It was hysterical. But the, but, the, the uh, whole almost dying thing probably turned the volume down on the on the scariness of Air Force TIs a little bit. Oh, yeah. It, it <laughs> turned the volume down of, of scary on everything. I mean, right. it, it, that moment really, you know – that changes your perspective on everything. It was right. You know, I was just like, man, life is, I can die. You know, at 20, you realize I could die. Right. And you don't realize that in, in, in your twenties. I don't, I don't think people in normal kids, I didn't know. I didn't think about that. I never thought about that as, mm. as a kid. And I know, I don't think I ever would have thought about that. I was always different than everybody else because I had been through that. And, you know, you just know, you know what, you see what people do and what people are like. I'm a more cautious person. I'm a, I, I drive like my, my wife says I drive like a grandmother and just, it's I different. Get that it change, too. Change. <laughs> <laughs> I always got a lead foot though, man. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, the next day they they've got you out there marching and they're, and they're starting to do push ups and exercises. And I couldn't, keep up man so i went I, all i could think about was the drills the, the um, recruiter saying don't tell them because you'll be in trouble and i didn't tell anybody and i was getting my ass chewed out and i finally i was like to the sergeant i'm like listen i can't i can't walk i, I just can't i can't walk i got to see a doctor or something and i was hoping they would find something but they never found they didn't do x-rays they were just examining me and i, I finally had to come clean i'm like listen here's what happened i, I was in a motorcycle accident and uh, the recruiter told me not to tell you guys. Uh, and he said, you know, well, that was – well, who's your recruiter? Because that was terrible advice because you could have delayed it for a year. You could have been in. And by the way, we're going to send you home and you can come back if you want. You, you know, wow. so I was like, God, I'm not in any trouble. They're like – so basically they I, – I stayed there waiting to go home for, for, for like 20 days. I was only in the Air Force for a total of 28 days. I was there longer waiting to go home. Than you would have been. Than it would have been, you know. <laughs> So it was it was crazy and and you know I I was so pissed at that at that uh, at that guy <laughs> you know and um, I'm surprised that me. you made it through MEPS. You, yeah. you must have had to kind of grin and bear it because I, yeah I they they yeah. make you do stuff in in yeah. in, in MEPS. <laughs> well, keep MEPS in mind, is I, the and I'll I'll explain this because not everybody knows what MEPS is. What is it? It stands for military. Entry point something yeah. system yeah, I don't service. Remember what it yeah, for, right, right, right. But it's the place you go right before you go to basic. Yeah, and they, they make you, you 
Yeah, they poke you and prod you and make you pee in a cup. And they make you do a couple of physical things that are pretty easy for an 18-year-old kid or 20-year-old person to do. But not with somebody that had just almost broke their back. Well, you know, I'd been going to keep in mind, it it healed itself, right? So it did heal. And I was able to walk. I was able to operate. I was able to bend and do the things. It was just pain. So oh, there's nothing okay. you can do about it. It was just excruciating pain, just ho- horrible. And I still have a bad back. I mean, and they told right. me you always have a bad back. What happens when you have that happen is calcium is going to grow over it and you're going to get arthritis. So I have arthritis in my back and I right. always have. Right, right. Uh, it took a good two years before um, my back was to the point where it it was bearable doing activity. So I, I, they told me you have to do physical activity. You have to exercise. You have to do things. It's just going to really suck for a long time. Right. And, uh, you know, by October, I was in no condition to be really – I could stand and physically I could do those things. And I got through MEPS. I got through all of the exams. And I could run. I could, I could jog. I could – but it was so painful. And right. by the way, the MEPS thing, uh, it was funny when I went there – I was. They put me up in New Haven. I'm in Connecticut. They put me up in New Haven, Connecticut, and, and it was the same hotel that a band that was playing that night at the Coliseum in New Haven. It was Ronnie James Dio. Remember Dio? I do. <laughs> Ronnie James Dio, and um, and Rainbow wasn't it? it Rainbow. Was, no, it was, oh, yeah, he was. Well, he was. At, he at was, that time, it was. He Dio. was just Dio. Okay, gotcha. And uh, Dave Mustaine's band. Who the hell was that? Uh, that so, was uh, Dave Mustaine. Is Megadeth right? Megadeth. Oh, look so, at us geeking out on old '80s rockers. <laughs> well, I was. I, I'm in the elevator with Dave Mustaine going up to my room. Wow. You know, Dave Mustaine and Rody, Rody, you know, girls, and and he was hammered. Of I don't course. know if you if you followed Metallica, they kicked him out of the band because he was drunk. They left him at a hotel. I mean, he's he notorious. Was, he, okay. Drunk. Wow. <laughs> Okay. He was hammered. He looks at me. He goes, "You're so drunk, dude." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not. I haven't had a drink at all, and you're smashed." <laughs> it was just that was my conversation <laughs> with Dave Mustaine in the elevator. But, That's great. But yeah, you know, I so I was able to do those activities. I was able to march. I was able to run. Um, I did push-ups. You know, but it was just so painful. It was like you just couldn't believe the pain and. Uh, so yeah, that's why. I, so that so then you decided after you did heal up that the Air Force wasn't for you somewhere in between the that and a year later. You know, I think I really decided the Air Force wasn't me when I crashed into that car. Really? Yeah, I I, I was really I went to the Air Force because I was just lo- uh, searching. I was set. I I felt like I was just. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know where I wanted to go. I had no passion, no motivation, no drive. At that point, I was like. I'm going to college. I can do this. I can go to college. I can be a college. Like I was so terrible in high school that for me to go to college was a joke. Like all my friends were the same as me, you know, and these guys, they worked in supermarkets. They, they were, you know, janitors. So that's where I was really supposed to be. And, uh, you know, I was like, that was, that became my driving goal was to to graduate with a bachelor's degree. And that was a mountain for me, like an un- I mean, I don't even know how to explain how how impossible I thought that would be. But at that, that moment, I was like, I'm going to go to college. And I I sucked it up and I did. You know, I got I got myself to the point where I was, you know, when I was home, I healed up. I got better. I, um, <clears throat> I went and got a job as a security guard to save up to buy a car because now I didn't have a vehicle. You know, we lived way out in the suburbs. So now I have to walk to work. Five miles I had to walk. Wow. 
with a bad back. I mean, at yeah. that point, I was you know, it was winter. It was into February, I think, and my back was to the point now where it was bearable, you know, and it was just that was just a bad time to go to the Air Force. If I went, if they delayed me a month or two months, I probably would have been it would have been tough, but it would have been okay. I would have been able You'd to get have been through, a, but, got it out. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean I started I really started hitting my stride. Now it was still painful. It was, you know, and it's always been painful. I mean, I always still still feel it. You know, I don't know how to but it was it was just like that it got better after I got out of the Air Force to the point where I could I could you know I could push myself to walk to work five miles. I don't know how I did it actually thinking about it. But I'm gonna email you a link to a book and uh this may or may not help, but I went to massage school and uh no yeah yeah. It was one of the one of the veers that I did after I quit my job. But one of the uh one of the schools that I went through was called um neuromuscular therapy. Mm-hmm. It's trigger point therapy. I don't know if you've, you're familiar yeah. with it at all. Oh, I've had I've had everything. <laughs> you oh, name it, you. I've had it. Yeah. Did, did did trigger point help at all? Uh, I don't remember anything helping. <laughs> I get was, you. you know, it's like, no, 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 I get I you. mean, I'm talking like I'm talking this. This pain, is years and years of pain. This is like a decade of you know, and I think about the lawyers who had me settle the case for like maybe ten thousand dollars i'm like i should still probably because i you know like i said i have arthritis and you know occasionally yeah. what'll happen is i'll i'll you know and i was able to get through the martial arts training with this stuff and occasionally i will have a day where i just i bend over to pick something up and my back is gone and i'm right. lying on the floor and now for two days my back is tweaked and you know yeah. so i still i still struggle no, with that i kind of I, stuff. I had i never had like a you know, broken vertebrae, but I did have a bad, you know, quote unquote, bad back, um, where every once in a while it would just spasm on me for no apparent reason, you know? Right. Um, but trigger point therapy for me, um, I basically learned how to do self massage on myself. No kidding. Yeah. And I got this, uh, now whenever I tweak my back, it's not a forever kind of thing. It's like, I spend maybe a half a day resting and then, and I work, I massage it out. That's awesome. Right. So, I mean, what the hell? It's a $40 book. You could give it a shot. Hey, <laughs> if I'll it works it. a you little know, bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. I mean, you know, it's funny. It's now as at 47, there's so many other issues that have caught up with me. <laughs> My back. Right. It's, it's like, kind of in the background. Know, right? It's in the background. I mean, years of martial arts training. And, and actually, I, I put myself back into martial arts because I had been taking it before I left for the Air Force. And then when I got my I got a job in the winter finally got a car and it wasn't until I had the car that I was able to go back to martial arts so it probably was that summer that I went back to martial arts and and you know got into college pushed through college pushed through martial arts and but now my knee you know I've had I've had ACL surgery because wow. of crushing my knee at a martial arts right teaching teaching actually of all things um, <laughs> my hips my hips are probably need surgery <laughs> so you know yeah. now it's now it's old age and wear and tear yeah so it doesn't you know I, the, the, I'm you know the, you definitely have because um, we talk about all these different sorts of uh, injuries and stuff during that uh, that massage school and 
Sometimes surgery is the answer. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you that, you know, you can massage all yeah. your troubles away. Not no. true. <laughs> well, the, the hip, hip, hip surgery, AC, you know, once your ACL goes, yeah. you your, need surgery. if you need hip yeah. surgery, you need hip surgery. No, the, the, yeah. the idea the here though is you don't want to do surgery first. Right. You, you wanna, oh yeah. Exhaust. You want to exhaust everything. I mean, pee on a spark plug <laughs> metaphorically. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I did, you know, I did physical therapy for my knee. It was, you know, I was, I was demonstrating or we were, I think we were sparring and I got my foot, just my right foot was planted as I was kicking and it didn't land. The kid moved, the person who I was sparring moved back. So I, my foot got stuck, my right foot got stuck and it just went out of the socket. Right. So I dropped and, uh, you know, then I went and they're like, you're, you're probably, you know, it's a tear. You probably should get it replaced, but go to physical therapy first, try and rehab it, see if it, you know, works. And I did physical therapy for a few months. And I think as we started pushing it, it went out a few times and they're like, yeah, you're, you're never going to be able to, you're never going to be able to heal this and still do martial arts. So you did the surgery and, you know, now the knee hurts every now and then. And, uh, but you, know, you can still again, do the, the thing can still do what I got to do. And, you yeah. know, the hips actually been slowing me down in the past year. I, I can't even walk, you know, I can't go outside and walk without my hips feeling like, so I, I I've got um, that now. Do you I, think that's, that's sort of like a repetitive thing from the martial arts too, or? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's a typical martial arts industry, uh, in, injury, in, injury, right, industry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> typical martial arts in, injury. Yeah. So I, I think it's, you know, it, it warrants going to the doctor and seeing, you know, and if they say, you know, because I could push through the, through that pain if I had to, but you know, a weak hip is not something you don't want to break your hip, so I'm, I don't want to push it. Oh, that's another thing I learned that uh, people in advanced age they think they fall and break their hip, but what actually yeah. is happening more often than not is their hip breaks and then they fall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that story or not. Which yeah. I was like, really. <laughs> Yeah, it just snaps makes and then they fall and they think the fall caused the break, but That's it's the other that way around. Sense. <laughs> right. And <laughs> when I you say it, it's like, oh, of course. <laughs> I said it to uh, my, my uncle, my dad's brother. Um, he had, um, he had a fall uh, and he was on ice. So we're thinking that the first one was the ice, but you know, you don't, you can't, you don't, obviously you don't know. You never know. No. You're never going to yeah. know what came first. You just know the hip is broken, <laughs> Right. but he broke, uh, you know, before that one healed, the other one broke too. Yeah. So he was laid up for a long time and I, I'm guessing I, the second one was a break fall <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. from just from hearing the story. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Getting old sucks. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But the more you can learn, I'm really glad, you know, I don't think I'll ever have a job in massage. You know, I might do it, you know, private practice or maybe teach someday. But mm -hmm. uh, just doing, I mean, the, the trigger point part of the school was about, I want to say that was about six or seven months, but it included three cadaver labs, you know, where you go in oh. and fascinating yeah oh, that's uh, horrible i that well that, that's the thing is like i know i could never be a massage therapist by the way because i don't i don't like icky stuff okay like, I'm, i i can't do icky <laughs> and you know touching people can be icky <laughs> i'm gonna just go right out there and say it touching people can be very icky like i'm not gonna be massaging someone's feet i'm not gonna be touching like yeah uh. uh, 
Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. It, it's, it can be unpleasant. The cadaver oh. lab was quite an experience. I would throw up. I'm th- I'm feeling nauseous just thinking about it. <laughs> okay. I'll move on then. <laughs> <laughs> it was fascinating once you got over the pukey feeling. You know, my father is still actually a police officer. He's been a police officer since I was uh, – he he changed careers when he was 35. He veered, right, and he became a cop. And he was the first uh, crime scene cop in in our town. We live in Danbury, Connecticut, which is a – you know, it's it's considered a city here in Connecticut. It's a bigger – one of the bigger cities. And uh, he's been – he was – he established the crime scene unit. That was his calling crime scene he loved icky stuff they used to tell me the stories of things and i was like oh you know stop, crime stop. scene guys they go out and you know they they crime scene examine deaths sure right? they examine murders and, yeah the csi uh, guys right oh he he had a hat a baseball hat that he used to wear and i just can't, can't even i can see him in it now he he's, he's now he's an internet fraud detective actually but at he for the for years he wore this baseball cap that had a picture of a tombstone on it and it said, my day begins when yours ends. I'm like, oh, please tell me you don't wear that like at crime scenes because that's just disturbing. Like what if, what if there's family there? That's like, the that's gallows, gallows humor. Oh, but he, he loved it. He excelled at that. He became, um, you know who Henry Lee is? No. Henry Lee is a famous forensics guy. Okay. Um, Henry Lee worked on the O.J. Simpson case. I mean, he's worked on famous okay. cases, and my father studied with him and worked with. Ended up working with him, and and my father since has traveled all over the world training cops. He's trained cops in the Ukraine and and on how to on crime scene stuff, and um, that that just the stories I can't even listen to him. You know, I'm I'm the total opposite of him. Like, if, you know, when my dog, I have a golden retriever. If he vomits in the house, like I can't even be near it. If my you catch a whiff, you're gonna you're like, gonna hurl. Yeah, yeah, I throw up. So, <laughs> well, I learned a lot about Mike Brooks today. This has been awesome. <laughs> More than you wanted to. More than you bargained for. So let's let's talk about uh, where everybody out there can find Mike Brooks. I know you're at nuclearchowder.com. Is that still right? Yep. Yep. And I own a. It's a digital marketing agency, Nuclear Chowder Marketing. And, and I love yep. Nuclear Chowder. That's still an awesome name and an awesome <laughs> brand. Good for you. Uh, and then on the Twitter, you are at Michael S. Brooks. Am I correct? Yep, that's it. All right. And there's another one out there that you're not using anymore, so don't use that one. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I started a, you know, I had, I've been using Twitter since 2009, I want to say. So I have a lot of followers on, you know, my, my core followers were on Twitter and I just decided, start. let me start a nuclear chowder um, Twitter account instead right. of changing my Michael S. Brooks to nuclear chowder. Because you can do that, actually. Yeah, yeah. But yeah I, I have I two myself. Do that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like, I don't want to start growing. And I want to, I want Twitter to be me. I don't want it to be my company brand. So no, that makes sense. I, I killed it. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. I made, yeah. I made a new Twitter account for the new podcast. So I'm now at Vroom Vroom Veer, but I, I'm still keeping my old account. Um, right. And I'll just cross pollinate them. As yeah. long as I can stand it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And if one gets boring and, and I want to shut it down, it's, that's easy, you know. You just, yeah. you just easy, shut it down. Easy enough to do. All right, Mike, this has been awesome. I appreciate you sharing your rooming and veering with me for about an My hour. Pleasure. My pleasure. It was a great, great honor to be on your show again, man, two times. I'm, 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 I'm honored. 
Uh, thank you. I'm honored to have you. And uh, we didn't eat up all your life, so we can have you back again, maybe next year. <laughs> right. We'll jump in the TARDIS again. There you go. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.